It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com very good evening uh, to you, Damien, and to everybody watching. Uh, Tom Grant here for sitting in for the usual host on ATP Weekly. Damien, how are you doing? How have you been keeping? I'm fine. You know, for, for me, it's um, Shanghai starts at like 6.30, so I've been going to bed at, you know, reasonably uh, early hours in order to catch the morning action. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but generally speaking, this is definitely one of my favorite events on tour, and, and I'm glad that it's back. It's quick, uh, you know, it produces some great tennis that very much suits my viewing preferences as well. So, um, yeah, after four years, we have it again, and, and that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the last time we sat down on a similar kind of show like this was just the, the night before the US Open, uh, and you were telling me about what your kind of sleeping plan was going to be. But... Um, have you been enjoying the kind of post-US Open tennis season? You know, the, the, the Asian swing, um, a lot of it in China. Um, you know, have you been enjoying the tennis that you've been watching? I mean, I, I think I've said it a few times on the show that I don't really have, um, like, my, my um, interest in tennis doesn't really fluctuate. I honestly it's just, there. you know, yeah, it's always there. I, I wake <laughs> up every day, I, I put on whatever is on. I, I check the scores and then that's basically how it goes until the end of November. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't really, I, I can't really say that I've been enjoying it more or less. It's just, yeah, yeah. another week of tennis. Fair enough. I mean, I think there's sometimes, um, certainly for, for, for some more casual fans then than yourself, um, I think, you know, you get a slump, don't you, after the, the final Grand yeah. Slam. There's nothing that's really building up to, uh, arguably, you know, the, the ATP finals for, for the top eight. But, you know, in terms of the quality of tennis, you know, a lot of the big names have all been involved. Um, you know, we, we, I know you, you spoke last week uh, on Sinner winning his uh, Masters 1000, taking out Alcaraz and Medvedev. Um, but in terms of the quality of tennis, you, you spoke there about quick matches in Shanghai. Um, is, the quality in Shanghai, has that been there for you? Um, I think so. You know, there, there's definitely a lot of freshness as well on the third, fourth round. Uh, there's a number of players that I'm excited about because usually when it's like, I don't know, Zverev Medvedev again, I, I wouldn't really want to watch it, honestly. Yeah. So I'm glad that there's a certain degree of, um, you know, players who have just uh, managed to, let's say, out, uh, over um, exceed the expectations. So uh, so that's good. But at the same time, as you said, I mean, all, basically everyone played this event, let's say, outside of Djokovic. Yeah. And at the same time, of course, a lot of them are already out. But for me, it doesn't really hinder my enjoyment at all. I can see how, you know, someone probably will be complaining about, you know, how is 
know, Marosh in the fourth round, how is someone else in the fourth round? Corda uh, Segundo fourth round. But you know, for me it's absolutely fine and, and I am I am even more excited for the rest of the events than I usually would be, probably. Yeah, perfect. You touched on it there, so we'll jump right in. Um probably the, the kind of biggest shock, but I mean it's it's not too much of a shock. Um but you know, Daniel Medvedev has been uh, in some fine form. Um, you know, I think he's on 60 wins. Uh, for the 2023 season. Um, but he lost out, as you mentioned, there to Sebastian Corda, 7-6, uh, 6-2. Um, I think I looked at one point, Damien, um, was meant to have a breakup um, in the first set, um, or I made that one up? No, um, no, no. They, 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 he never broke Corda. Did he not at all? Yeah, I mean, I only caught, caught glimpses of this one. Um, but, you know, it's a matchup uh, that I think Corda likes. Um, and we spoke uh, just before we came on the show. Do you want to kind of talk us through where it went right and wrong for, where it went right for Corda and where it went wrong for Daniel then? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's just um, a lot of the things that Corda wants to do naturally on the court and like has the ability to do uh, are actually good against Medvedev, are like the sort of tactics that we would usually call, you know, anti-Medvedevian or whatever. Uh, you know, he, he can go to the net easily. This is the sort of tennis that he wants to play. He plays very early off the bounce, tries to create some angles, which is, again, tough because Medvedev is so far behind the baseline. So I, I, I think that um, this, this is really helpful to him, that uh, the sort of tennis that he wants to play sort of naturally is actually exactly what you want to play against Medvedev. Obviously, this doesn't mean that he's going to be winning against Daniel every single time. There was this opening set tiebreak where Medvedev commits three double faults, all of them mm. in mini break up, uh, one of them on the set point. So that's also pretty huge. Uh, but but yeah, after that, I mean, I think Korda saved like one break point at the beginning of the second set. And from there, it, it's sort of, you know, he sort of steamrolled towards the end of the match. Uh, so I'd, I would say that, you know, uh, the, the, the moment it went wrong was definitely the first set tiebreak for Medvedev. Up until then, that point, I mean, they were pretty much just um, going toe-to-toe. I don't think there was any breakpoints for anyone in the opening set. Korda played like a ridiculously good point on the third set point, I think, for Medvedev. Where, um, yeah, he had to, he had to just, um, there, there was a lob, there was a drop shot, you know, they were, he was running up and down the court. He was, he was also luring Medvedev forward with, with droppers. I mean, they weren't even all that good, but still, Medvedev is two meters behind the court. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, winning shot instantly. It can be just, you know, a drop shot and then a pass or something. And yeah, I, I just, I just think that for Korda, it is really natural to play against Medvedev because the tactical, the, the tactical plan is basically what he enjoys anyway. Yeah. Um, so it was a very um, tactical match, though, wasn't it? Like you, you know, you could tell that there was a game plan there, um, and and you know, he played it well. Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely, there was a very telling stat on my feed. Uh, I think I even posted it on Twitter, which um, sort of talked about how many points they have they they have won at the net and at the baseline. And mm-hmm. I think it was at six four six seven six uh, four two for Korda, where Medvedev had uh, thirty one points won at the baseline and five at the net, whereas Korda had basically a fifty fifty split. You know, we've seen that a lot uh, from other players against Medvedev recently, serving volleying out wide. I also remember uh, a stat that showed uh, Korda's serve directions on the deuce side, which were basically 80% out wide and, you know, to the to the Medvedev forehand. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's what John's showing to you. And um, on the on the ad side, though, it was, it was like way more split, which again shows, you know, decent tactical awareness. And, and yeah, I, I think it was a tactical match, but for Korda... Uh, it's definitely easier to play like that than for other players. You know, when when Sinner did that to Medvedev in the Beijing final, you could see he is somewhat uncomfortable still playing mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But it's still, you know, the effect in the end was still, of course, great. Uh, he actually managed to make it work despite not feeling very comfortable. Korda actually, you know, it's just it's just exactly what he wants. So uh, yeah. I do think that this should be uh, a good matchup for Korda. Should it be as good as it's been this year? You know, five sets, five wins. Um, I mean, five, five sets, five sets won. Probably not as good. Uh, I, I definitely want to see them playing in the future, but it it should remain a problem matchup for for Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, do you ever use the term topsy turvy? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, because um, I, I was going to describe Sebastian Corda's year twenty twenty three as topsy turvy. Would, would you agree with that in terms of you know? He started off pretty strong down under, didn't he? Um, and uh, 
And then, you know, you had the infamous line um, just before Wimbledon talking about him being, you know, one of the top players, the top seeds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of Sebastian Corda, he's still young. Um, is he up there with, with the, the best Americans on tour? Yeah, it's a it's a weird season for sure. Um, you know, after after January, which as you mentioned was fabulous, um, especially including that that Medvedev win and of course um, having a match point against Djokovic, uh, everyone was like, okay, this guy is gonna break the top twenty, the top ten this year. Yeah, uh, top I remember thinking it myself. Still, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember absolutely. sitting there watching, going, "This is his year." And uh, like um, the top 10, well, it's probably not achievable anymore, but the top 20, actually, he can still do it, which would be a pretty good feat because he was missing for three months. I mean, more or less three months. Yeah, three months, actually, between the Australian Open and the clay season. Uh, then, of course, it was fine, you know, to sort of after the injury, you know, get back to playing better tennis with like, um, you know, some sort of a delay, you know, just just have a bit of a, a period where maybe he's trying to refine his rhythm. Uh, but yeah, as he said, after Queen's Cup, then the expectations are high again. He doesn't do anything at Wimbledon, uh, at Wimbledon, which you know, Iji Vesely obviously not at his strongest right now. Also, the U.S. Open, he loses in the first rounds. So basically, anytime people would get their hopes up, he would very quickly shatter them. And um, yeah, I still think it's been a fine season. It's been a season of progress. If he gets like a full year of 2024. Uh, I would expect him to be one of the best Americans that year, and for sure. Uh, also, because the competition, I mean, it isn't all that strong. Like you have Taylor Fritz, you have Tommy Paul, but are they really going to go like further up from here? I'm not sure about that. Um, Shelton is also like a huge mystery regarding the Australia, regarding whether he defends his uh, points in Australia and um, and the U.S. Open. Of course, Francis Tiafo, I sort of, for, uh, sort of didn't mention, but all of these guys, I feel like they, they have already, besides Shelton, of course, so Tiafo, Fritz, Paul, I feel like they have more or less hit their peaks, whereas Korda definitely hasn't, and, and okay. Shelton as well. So I, I would say there is a <clears throat> big chance that in 2024, if we get him healthy for a year, he might be, you know, among the yeah. two highest-ranked yeah. Americans. I don't know. Yeah, okay, he's definitely one to watch for, for 2024 yeah. if, uh, if he can stay injury-free. Um, and that's not to say, you know, he can't finish off uh, this year um, pretty strong and, and kind of lay down a marker. Um, final question on Corda, and then we'll move swiftly on. Um, he obviously faces uh, Francisco Serendulo uh, in the next round after he beat uh, Martin Fucevic. But um, ATP described this one as Corda's the, the biggest win of his career. Um, and I just wondered if, if you agreed with that. Well, the, definitely it's his first top five win, right? I mean, Medvedev, mm-hmm. when he played him at Maybe the that's Australian where they Open, brought that from. Yeah, that, that's probably where they got it from. And now I'm thinking whether it's actually true. And it could be, you know, Medvedev, when he beat him at the Australian Open, he was coming off a, a weaker part of, well, a weaker season even as a whole after the Australian Open final. So I think Medvedev was ranked maybe 12 when they played or uh, no, actually 8, sorry. I I just checked that. Um, So would that be his best win ever? I I probably would have to agree. I mean, what's what's really the other, what are the other options? I mean, Medvedev at the Australian Open, right? Like these are the only two comparable ones. If he beat Djokovic at Adelaide, then we can start talking about it and probably that would be his best one. But of yeah. course, he didn't convert the match point. So, so yeah, I, I would probably agree. Given where Medvedev is right now, compared to where he was at the Australian Open, even though it's not a slam, yeah, uh, I would, I would probably say that yeah, this is the best win of his career. Fair enough, fair enough. You make a good case there, Damon. Uh, we'll move on then, um, just to try. We've got a lot to cram in um, into it. Uh, so yeah, um, I wanted to um, fire this one in because I'm really interested by this guy, uh, and I know that earlier in the summer. Um, you know, because of his, uh, you know, success on the Challenger Tour, um, Fabian uh, Marishan you, was somebody who you had kind of tipped um, even before the, the Alcaraz win on the clay court. So, um, you know, he's, he's enjoying a, a decent run here. And um, I just wanted to find out of you um, as somebody who kind of is uh, the expert on that side of things. You know, where is this guy sealing? Let's talk about, you know, Fabian uh, Marishan. How good is he? Yeah, the, the the honestly the real answer is that I truly don't know. Like I, I think Maroshan was one of my best uh, picks in terms of you know who is going to get into the top one hundred this year. I but remember. I really... <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I remember you saying it. I remember you saying it. 
Yeah, but like, did I really think that he was gonna be as good on the main tour as he is right now? I I'm not sure. Like, I, I think he was one of my, you know, ballsier selections. One of the guys who I thought, okay, maybe he does it, but <laughs> most likely he actually uh, can't. And yeah, obviously Rome was, was something else. And I think this Shanghai round also goes a long way. Because with, with his sort of play style, um, I think it's really hard to be producing wins on a consistent basis. Like, I basically never write him off in front of a match. He plays Alcaraz in Rome, he plays Deminor in Shanghai. I, I will never write off Maroshan because if he just comes <laughs> out and, you know, blasts the ball, takes it so early that the opponent is, is reduced to um, an extra, what, what really the, uh, can, the, can the other guy do? I mean, um, there was always a bit of a... Um, Let's say everyone was always maybe questioning whether Maroshan was going to be as good on hard or indoors as he is on clay. The fact is that he basically has very little experience compared to, um, you know, compared to his clay results on these surfaces. I mean, he's played like 90% of matches in his career on clay, mm -hmm. which if you think about his play style, it's actually kind of weird that he has done that. I mean, I've seen him had, have some good runs before. Uh, Bergamo 2021, he was in a, the semifinals of a challenger. He was also in the final at Bratislava, a huge challenger last year. Uh, but at the beginning of the season, he wasn't going well at all on, on hard courts indoors. So it was it was a bit of a um, for, for sure it was a bit of a worry, but he played this excellent match against Gasquet the U.S. Open, which already gave me some sort of an indication that okay um, he should be more or less fine. Then you know even be just before Shanghai he played Astana and lost to Kachmazov like a very tame loss in the qualifying right. So that's not what you would really um, expect. That's not what you would really want ahead of that Shanghai run. So that's why perhaps you know people didn't really see it coming. But I think uh, wins like that, like today, today was it? Was it? Yeah, it was today against. Was, yeah, earlier, earlier on this. These morning. are these are the ones that sort of can take him really far because, again, I'm never writing him off in any match. But the fact that he beats the minor, it's not really a surprise to me because he has that sort of peak level. It's all about doing that consistently, and the fact that he also managed to beat Rinderneck and Lajovic, and also didn't really make hard work of it. I think that's that's fantastic for him. He maybe isn't able to use all that, you know, trademark drop shots uh, that he has on hard courts as he is on clay, but he can definitely make up for it. He's been serving great. You know, the fact that the surface is quicker definitely helps him in, in many ways as well. So, yeah, super excited to see how he tackles on Rude. Again, I'm never counting him off, really. Yeah. Uh, I feel like consistency definitely will remain an issue. It's just that the style is so aggressive. But uh, yeah, what he's done over the past, let's say, year or so, uh, getting himself from maybe around 250 in the rankings as he was, let's say, in August last year to where he is right now, it's just insane, especially for a player who I don't think was ever truly regarded uh, as a major prospect, you know, in yeah. the juniors or at the beginning of his career, definitely not. So... Um, he's clearly good enough to be playing on the main tour. I think he's going to keep racking up some wins, some runs to keep him there. I have no clue how far he will go because there's always going to be that sort of consistency question. But I, I was I was definitely very pleased with the fact that he beat Lajovic so um, confidently. Like that, the fact that he was able to back up the, the minor win, that, that's something that can really help him. Yeah, yeah, uh, a good run, uh, and people will start taking notice. Casper Rudd, uh, you know, beat Christopher Eubanks today. Um, he was a set, uh, no, sorry, he won 6 4 6 2. Um, who wins that one then for you, Damien? Casper uh, Rudd, you know, he looks to have reset a little bit. Um, you know, um, who wins that one then, Casper? Uh, I mean, you have to call Rudd the favourite, but as I said, I I'm just never writing Maroshanov, whoever he plays, really. Uh, I was a bit surprised with how um, quick it was for Kasper, I guess, so far against Nishioka Eubanks. I mean, two theoretically dangerous players. I, I have to say that, you know, I don't really think Rude will make the semis. I think he will lose, lose probably to Hulka Zhang. Uh, but he is the favorite over Maroshan, uh, I would assume that. But But yeah, I don't think he makes it through these two rounds anyway. Okay, okay. Uh, well, why don't we just kind of stick to that side of... The draw in Shanghai. Um, you've got uh, Zhang Zhenjin against uh, Herbie Herkatch. Um, You know, Zhang, uh, I see that he's doing you know stuff that, that, that no other Chinese player has done. Uh, he's been making history um, by getting this far. Um, you know, talk to me about his level then. You know, um, I saw a bit of him uh, at the US Open. Um, you know, wh where can he go? 
I honestly think he's as good as anyone really on the tour when it comes to just uh, pure aggressive ball striking and, and the technique, which is like you, you can see that, you know, something someone has been well, not not has been, but in the in the in the past, someone like took a lot of hours into making sure that this guy was going to be an absolute force. You know, he has a physicality that is so rare for players from that part of the world as well. Yeah. Uh, massive serve, massive ground strokes, and honestly, I just I just feel like he he really has nothing to fear from again, like against the top guys. There's nothing that he should fear. Uh, basically he is as good as them it's just a matter of like mental and maybe also like type experience you know shot selection the fact that again sort of like maroshans his style is very balls to the wall that can also hurt him but you know he is capable of beating the best 100 percent i am um a little maybe uh well at, at, at the beginning of the season there was definitely that that part especially in like march February, where I was very afraid for Zhang that he yeah. was not going to repeat that 2022 campaign, but he's basically had that Madrid run, then of course Hamburg, and yeah, right now just keeps doing it uh, pretty consistently actually the last the last few months. So this this is exactly what I wanted to see. Uh, I think he is getting you know his his um, game is getting a little polished up, which which really it doesn't need all that much. And um, yeah, from the get-go here in Shanghai, I think he seemed like a potential dark horse. He actually played this event six times in the past, never won a match, <laughs> whether it was qualifying qualifying or, the, or uh, the main draw. But of course, we haven't had Shanghai for four years, so it was a long break. He clearly made a massive jump. As he said, he's making history basically anytime he plays. I mean, Ibn Gu was the, was the first Chinese ATP Tour champion, but Zhang was the first one to break the top 100, make the ATP 1000 quarterfinal Madrid and etc. So um, I am I am very pleased with this run as well because it felt like from, from the get-go in Shanghai, it felt like he has a fantastic draw. I know he, ha- he hadn't won a match in Shanghai in the past, but he had uh, major um, results in like Chinese hardcore challengers, which play right. very similar. In 2019, he won a couple of them. I think Shenzhen and um, Jinan. So uh, also, of course, he won the Asian Games, which were also held in in China just before just before Shanghai. Which um, you know maybe the field wasn't as good, maybe outside of Watanuki in the final, but still it's bound to give him a lot of confidence. I think it was a very important week for him. And yeah, the the fact that he took this opportunity to to make the fourth round and was actually pushed by Echeverry in the second round. I I, I don't think struggling there was like a um, you know any sort of um, negative for him just because Echeverry recently has has made a big step up on hard as well and was playing great in that match. So I am I am very excited to see him play against Hurkac. I I do think that the winner of this is probably gonna make the semis as well. So so it's a major major opportunity for Zhang. Zhang. And and again I. I I always say that like compared on like a pure ball striking level, he is as good as anyone of the two, really. Yeah. And, I mean uh, he had 18 I'm... winners um today against Brandon uh, Nakashima and on his way to winning seven six six two in just uh, under an hour and a half, an hour and twenty-five minutes of tennis played. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Next up then, uh, we will move on to, I know we've spoke about, or you guys spoke about Yannick Sinner after his uh, when in Beijing last week or on Wednesday, um, she always uh, you know throws a, a curveball at me, at me when you finish tournaments on a Wednesday. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Yannick Sinner winning on Wednesday um, this week, he he's managed to come through. Now I've watched actually both these matches, Damien, um, and I'm not saying in any way he's lucky. I like Yannick Sinner, but you know two crucial sets. Um, did you see the net cords that he's had both times against? Um, Marcus Giron and then uh, again today against Sebastian Baez, no? 
I, I've watched some of the tie, well, the tie break against Kiron basically only, yeah. and I know I know what happened there with the net, yeah. But against yeah. Bias today, I barely, barely saw this much. Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was on uh, set point, and uh, yeah, for the first set, that was it. Um, hit the net cord. Uh, Bias had to rejig himself. Um, played a kind of short ball back, and Yannick Sinner put him away with a forehand to take the first set. Um, but yeah, Yannick Sinner, um, let's not spend too much time, but you know, he's looked um, to be in, uh, you know, Bias, tricky customer, um, as most players will tell you, in terms of he's going to put it all, he's always going to make the, the match competitive. Um, but you know, did you expect Yannick Sinner just to keep this form going? You know, he's seven wins in a row now. Um, you know, Yannick Sinner, is he a favourite again for, for this week? Um, he could be, although, you know, Sinner Shelton, I think that's a massive forefront match. Like, yeah. I don't really understand why um, people seem to think that it's like an easy win for Sinner or something. Nothing he has had so far uh, this week has been easy for him. But again, that's sort of what confidence can do to you, right? That you are simply able to handle anything that is coming your way. Uh, obviously, the last two or three months have been the best uh, in his career. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's, it was never going to be easy to transfer his Beijing form to Shanghai. He got an additional day of rest along with Medvedev. They were actually like their sides of the draw were supposed to play on Friday. They actually played on Saturday, so that was a bit of help for him. But that was because yeah, of right. the weather, wasn't it? Because of the rain? No, no, no. Actually, not. Um, was it not? They, were, they were scheduled like this. Yes. Ah, uh, right, okay. Medvedev and Sinner were scheduled like this, where um, they their second round matches actually happened on Saturday instead of Friday in in the first place before the weather uh, sort of you know came in. Right. But yeah, uh, now he gets a day of rest. He should be a threat if he beats Shelton. You know, he might be able to go all the way. Who knows? But I I would not um, like put him into the into the quarterfinals automatically yet. Uh, I thought that uh, you know before before the event started, I thought that anyone out of Shelton, uh, Zverev, Safiulin, there was that super strong uh, section there. Anyone yeah. out of these is a is a really tough opponent for Sinner, and um, you know so far he has benefited from a pretty easy draw as well. Like that that was part of why I thought okay he's definitely making the forefront here because well Giron bias to make the, the forefront of Shanghai, that's definitely um, among the weak, the weakest sections. But at the same time, of course, it's not like Sinner needed it. As you said, seven wins in a row, and he still seems to be going pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then talk to me about, um, and before we go into Shelton, though, um, because I, Ro, Shelton versus Roman uh, Safilin was one that I watched today, um, just because I thought that one was going to be, um, you know, a really hard-hitting blockbuster. Um, I enjoyed the match. Um, Safalin obviously leading um, the first, uh, won the first set and leading the match. But Shelton, you know, sh- showed some resolve, showed some character. He's not just a, a guy who can try and blast you off the court with his big serve and his big ground strokes. Uh, and I thought that for me was was kind of key. Um, and I don't know if you agree, Damien. You know, in terms of you know him managing to turn that match around, probably going into it as as the favourite, even though he's playing against a guy who's in form. Um, so I just I thought that was an impressive win from from Ben Shelton today. Something that I didn't know that he, that level that he had. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely huge for Shelton. It's just the fourth time this year that he wins two matches in a single event. Uh, two of them obviously being Australia and and the US Open, and also the Challenger in Cagliari. So so from that perspective, it's definitely huge. I mean we're sort of going to see whether 2023 is just going to stay like a two event type of deal for Ben Shelton or is there actually going to be another big run in it in him I I, I would hope to see it yeah and, and he did manage that well pre- that, that much pretty well I would agree with that um Safiulin, you know maybe wasn't at, at the sort of level that so in crush was very crush Murray uh he definitely made a number of plus one forehand errors in the second and third set which wouldn't really happen to him in the previous two matches, but again, that's sort of a, you know a thing of his style. But uh, yeah, Shelton has definitely has more abilities than just blasting the ball, and he's a very good athlete as well. He can actually you know draw out errors from his opponents. He can play a bit smarter than I think most people realize, and and that match is is probably part of um, the experience that he's amassed over the course of this season and. 
um, experience that he's hopefully going to be able to use in the future in 2024 as well. For now, I think he sort of gets a bit of a wild card, you know, playing um, yeah. playing playing Sinner here. Like if he if he loses to him, there's really nothing wrong in it. If he wins, that's amazing, and and that that's when expectations will actually start piling up. That's when everyone will be thinking, okay, can can Shelton make the final? Can Shelton make can Shelton make the semis? And I, I have to say that I'm also very, actually, it's rare for me to be excited about doubles, but that Hurkacz Shelton doubles, which Keen mentioned in the chat yeah. a few minutes ago, that's actually going to be cool as well. I think initially their match was, was scheduled like three days ago, but then because of the rain, because of the rain yeah. yeah, everything got like shifted towards uh, the next days. And they're actually going to play uh, Hijikata Nori, I think, at um, 12.30 local time tomorrow. Okay, no, that, that that would be good, um, and uh, yeah, something uh, probably wouldn't have expected to see probably about a month ago, six weeks ago, um, you know, to watch Hercatch uh, and Shelton uh, as as a doubles pairing. Uh, in terms of the singles, and uh, I'm going to put you on the spot because that's why you're here, Damien. Uh, you know, Sinner, uh, Shelton, uh, the winner would face the winner of Corda Serendulo. Um, so who's winning that one? Um. So just the just the bottom quarter, right? Yeah, just for just give me the the, the winner. Who do you think will be winning between Shelton uh, and Yannick Sinner? Um, and then, I mean, if you want to go to Surindolo Corda, you can. I think you you can explain that Corda um, is on an upward trajectory. Yeah, I mean, I hope that um, that Corda is going to win because I think down the line, you know, he should have more more potential to go deeper in this event than Serundolo, who's actually you know yeah, topsy turvy himself, I would say, of clay. And sometimes produces the goods, but can also have some really weak performances. And Sinner Shelton, as I said, I mean, it's definitely much closer for me than uh, most people have it, much closer than the odds have it. Um, I would say, you know, Shelton, uh, basing this on what Sinner has shown so far, I think Shelton should have a chance to win there. I don't know how this match is going to look, but uh, the, the, the courts as well, because there's been some chat in the, uh, there's been some talk about this in the chat. Yes, where, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the speed, yeah. The speed of the court. It's the balls, not the court, as someone said. And that's actually good for Shelton, I think. That's what was happening at the US Open as well, where the court was fast, the balls were heavy. And for players like Shelton, Zhang, that, that's actually kind of ideal. They, they can hit through anything anyway. So I would say that Shelton probably has a very good shot against Sinner. I, I have no clue who's going to make the semis out of this. If I, would, if I was to say one name, I would go Sebastian Corda. Sebastian Corda. I did not expect that name to come out of your lips there, Damien. Um, but no, I like it. I like it. Do you know what? Uh, who am I to, to question uh, the great Damien's prediction? So, okay, um, Corda it is. And I think Shelton Sinner, um, you know, it's going to be uh, a few winners in that one, shall we say. Um, just uh, briefly, just to go over matchups, I, I thought it was quite interesting because we were talking about Corda and Medvedev and that matchup, of course. Uh, Corda winning in uh, Australia early in the year at the Grand Slam. Um, and I thought it was interesting last week, and I don't know if you touched on it on your um, weekly on Wednesday when um, Sinner obviously beats Medvedev for the first time in, in six meetings, or seven meetings, for the first time in seven meetings. Um, at the same time, Sinner matches it up with uh, Alcaraz 4 all. Medvedev won the last uh, Alcaraz meeting, um, although Alcaraz has is, is, is always kind of had his number. And I just thought, that triangle of players just kind of proves to you that that, that matchups uh, tennis is all about matchups, and I just wanted you to kind of explain it for people, maybe the more casual viewer and listener of tennis. You know why matchups in tennis is is like far different to, to most other sports. Um, hmm. <laughs> um I guess it's a big you know, question. That one is a big one. Yeah, yeah. The main thing, I guess, is just um, that the difference in terms of, I don't know, tennis level, tennis quality between these guys, you know, guys who can regularly contend on the ATP Tour, it's really slim. Even between guys who aren't regularly contending on the on the ATP Tour, you know, they are playing challengers, like high quality ITFs. I mean, the differences between them, you know, they've all uh, they've all had like billions of years of training, right? So, so basically, uh, billions of hours maybe is more accurate. Uh, not hyperboling it all that. <laughs> I was going to let you go. I was going to let that one just go. I wasn't even going to pull you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, everyone knows what I mean. And and then um, the difference between their abilities really isn't that huge. So it's really the details that prevail. You know, sometimes it's it may be the court conditions, and sometimes it may be matchups. 
Um, certainly, um, yeah, John also has an interesting um, note in the chats that, you know, the, the, everything, um, there's only one ball basically in tennis that your opponent has no real impact on, and that's your serve. Otherwise, it's all going to be what's coming at you. You, well, you can obviously dictate play, but at the same time, you're also reacting to whatever the opponent is, is throwing at you. And it's only really the serve that the, that the opponent has no control on. I don't know if it's so different compared to other sports. You know, definitely team sports would be very different since then you have some, you know, so many factors, so many players. Uh, in two years, it's going to be a completely different squad. Then, you know, head-to-heads matter, don't matter at all. But generally, you know, in tennis, even if you play tennis at like a very amateurish level, you're going to encounter this a lot, where you come into a match, um, you play against an opponent uh, who, I don't know, beat someone you you are usually losing to, and then you beat that guy. It's it's just a rock, paper, scissors type of, type of deal a lot of the time, where yeah. simply the, the ball that the opponent plays, the, the strengths, the assets, sometimes, you know, the tactics... Uh, can be very uncomfortable for you, and yeah, it's basically quite quite random, I would say. Let, Alcaraz, let me ask you. you, know, you uh -huh, mm -hmm. Let me ask you then, Damien. In your opinion, I mean, like you say, a lot of these guys have all got, like you know, the 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 the, the line between their ability, uh, you know, isn't massive. You know, the 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 gap between their uh, ability, but you know, like like we know, um, and the particular trio that we speak about. You know, Alcaraz has had Medvedev's number, Medvedev's had Sinner's traditionally, and then Sinner and Alcaraz are, are, are kind of matched up together. I wonder, in your opinion, how much do you think is psychological rather than, than you know, about the ability, the, the actual physical ability? You know, you know, sometimes you could have that kind of mental block, you know, I can't beat this guy, which I thought Sinner may have had against Medvedev until, of course, Wednesday night. Yeah, uh, I think once you lose to someone a few times, it certainly becomes psychological. Uh, you you want to beat him. You uh, you want to beat him so much that you actually start losing to him even more, right? Uh, the, um, I don't know, let's say Gasquet playing Nadal, for example. Like everyone knows what sort of thing. It's still it's still easy to. Uh, it, it, of course, it's not still not easy to beat Nadal. But like everyone knows what sort of tennis Gasquet should be playing if he is to like have a chance at Nadal. But anytime he plays him, he's just absolutely out of it mentally. I don't know. Gael Monfils against Novak Djokovic. I was just about to say single... it. I was just about yeah. to say it. And sometimes I would say, you know, I don't know, when Federer lost 17 times to Federer or someone, I'm sure there's a Monfils, uh, there's a Djokovic or Nadal matchup that isn't coming to me right now. But sometimes it's just really the, the sort of edge in the matchup, the edge in the in, in the quality, let's say. But in, in the case of like Monfils, Djokovic, there, there definitely were a few occasions when he, he had him, you know, he had him or he just played like a complete idiot. <laughs> I mean, it, it, ha it happens a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, th I think e even if you're playing tennis at like an amateur level, you've, you've pr and you've played I don't know five opponents ten different times, you you will encounter things like that. Um, yeah. I I don't know if I if I've really done that uh, at you know in terms of tennis, uh, but uh, I I do play table tennis quite a lot at like a I don't know, let's say high amateur level. And uh, last year, for example, there was this guy that I just couldn't couldn't really beat, <laughs> and I. It made me play even worse against him every single time because I I finally wanted to get that victory. I knew that we're not we're like not really all that uh, far ahead from each other, even though he has much better technique. But he basically plays like this spinny, loopy forehands, and I cannot handle them. And Aww. every single time, it just made me play even more defensively against him. You know, even less even less risk. I actually wow. did manage that did manage that win eventually. And it was, ah, uh, right. know, I was just about to ask a, you if you were the game one feast in this in this relationship. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I I won him. I won against him twice. I think last year, and we played like twenty times. Um, so you know, it's close. It's close to Gal. Yeah. It's not like Djokovic territory. But yeah, <laughs> it, it happens. It happens even if you're not amazing in in, in, in a sport. I think if you lose to yeah. someone a few times, you're gonna find it hard to beat them, even if maybe the matchup in itself wasn't all that tough in the first place. Yeah, yeah. No, wow, that that, that is intriguing, Damien. Your 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 uphill battle uh, in the table tennis <laughs> world. So I uh, I'm so pleased that you you've overcome that hurdle. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Going on to then the, the rest of them, but just before we do, I just wanted to touch on, um, for me, Diego Schwartzman, um, you know, winning, um, I think this week has been his first, you know, actual main draw wins since Wimbledon, I believe. Um, and, you know, I just, I just wanted to kind of touch on him very quickly. You know, Schwartzman, he's been on the tour for so long. He's had a, a rotten run of luck um, in terms of uh, his, his playing and, you know, obviously bad form. You know, how good has this been, you know, for, for the last couple of days, getting a couple of wins under his belt? Yeah, I think for Schwartzman, like the main question right now is whether he can get into the Australian Open automatically or not. Uh, I am not, I mean, let's say I haven't been a fan of his decision making in that, you know, he's going to Asia, then he's going to play Basel, uh, Paris. Like I, I, the way I imagined the Diego Schwartzman 2023 season, let's say around June, July, I more so thought that he was probably going to end his year in South America playing challengers. I mean, he might still do that, but it's going to be like two or three events. And um, I thought that maybe he will sort of take this as an opportunity to rebuild, but he hasn't. Um, If he beats Fritz, then he has sort of made it work in Shanghai and I have to shut up about it. (laughs) But if he doesn't, you know, it's still, the, the, the work still hasn't been done. I mean, in the ATP race, he is like 113th live right now. So, so basically that's where he stands sort of with his chances of, of making the Australian Open main draw. And if he doesn't, I think there's going to be like a real question of how long we're actually going to see Diego Schwarzman on the tour for, because he, he cannot really keep playing like he has been this year, like just trying himself in main tour events and losing a lot of the time. Yeah. I don't know how it's, I, I don't know how it's going to look like, but um, yeah, these wins obviously help a lot. And it, with the sort of scheduling that he has, um, undertaken recently, like he he basically is hoping for exactly that for a run in one of the bigger events because that's essentially what he's playing towards the end of November at least and towards the end of October. That that that's um, until we know his scheduling. So um, he is hoping for something like that. So far, it's working out in this event, and um, still, you know, he hasn't achieved exactly what he is hoping for. But obviously, from from this match, from the next one. You know, the points skyrocket, the number of points that you can win with every match. So even one more win would really take him a long way. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if he can pull it off. Uh, I don't think we've seen it really in Shanghai so far that he can beat Fritz. Uh, but maybe, you know, no, there, there is there, there is definitely <clears throat> some sort of, like the, the quality in Diego Schwarzman's game from time to time still shows up. Uh, that's yeah. uh, that, that's just for keeping sure. it like, going, isn't it? Over over three sets or two sets. Yeah, it's just uh, it's against Zverev, right? In, in Beijing, he played a very good match, I think. So yeah. uh, he lost, obviously. So which wasn't ideal, but that was a very tough draw. But yeah, from time to time, he still has he still shows the quality. So maybe I don't know. But I mean, yeah, 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 I mean, that's no mean feat, you know. A good player, a good young player, a guy who uh, knows his way around the hard court. Um, so. I'm sure he's got to be pleased, especially after losing the second set yeah. um, and then seeing that one out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, it's a, it's a totally different uh, matchup as we just spoke about against Taylor Fritz. Um, I mean, in terms of Taylor Fritz, you know, we'll, we'll just round up the other matches uh, over the last couple of days. Um, Taylor Fritz coming through. Um, any other results or, or uh, matches that, that you kind of stood up and went, wow, I didn't expect that? Um, today or, or just in general? Just, yeah, since the weekend, so, you know, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday, I mean, Saturday. we had Arthur Fuse beating uh, Davidovich Fikina. Um, I suppose that was one that, that made me kind of think, wow, okay, because I know that, that the guys have, have tussled recently. Yeah, yeah, they had two matches at Wimbledon and, and Ron Garros, both in the opening round, and both of them sucked. Like, they, they <laughs> sucked. I remember, compared I remember to the, the French Open one. I remember the French one because I was like, right, this the is French the one wasn't match. But I remember going, oh, this is the match that I want to watch and yeah. it just it didn't, it didn't live up to, to the billing. Everyone was like that for sure when we saw the draw. Of course, Fils won Lyon uh, just uh, two days before the French. Well, one day before the French, I guess, but two days before their match. So uh, I think fatigue also played its part in it. Then on grass, of course, he had very little experience on it. So it was explainable. 
but it did seem like Davidovich Fokina just uh, really tracks down everything, feels sense at him, and basically is able to, um, you know, draw the errors out of his forehand. And um, I was afraid that Shanghai was going to be like that again. Definitely I was. Uh, but, you know, it actually ended up being the other way around. It disappointed because Davidovich Fokina was not competitive. I mean, 6 to 7 5 maybe doesn't sound as, as bad. But 6 2 5 3, uh, when Fields was serving for the match for the first time, you know, that would have been a more comprehensive victory. I think he has been able to adapt that um, very heavy. Actually, when when uh, they released the uh, the spin, well, they actually it was uh, someone on Twitter who made this graph of um, spin rates for um, Monte Carlo and Rome. Was it Rome that Fields played or Madrid? I think it was Monte Carlo and Rome, and basically Fields had the heaviest forehand on tour in terms of you know. Um, the spin on the forehand so that's that's pretty crazy and i thought it might maybe be uh, tougher for him to play in shanghai because of that maybe the balls are also helping him in this regard the fact that they're um allowing him to play this this heavier shot but i think he has been good at adapting it as well playing it a bit more flatter when he can and uh yeah very good match against davidovich fokina i think i am excited to see how he does against tommy paul it does not sound like a good matchup for me but I hope to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be a good match. Wrong. I do. I think that'll be uh, it'll be physical. Um, I think uh, I know this sounds daft, but you know the, there might be a little bit of Labour Cupness still in them because Arthur Feast was really <laughs> taking that that event serious, um, uh, and you know Tommy Paul so laid back he could he could be playing on his back. Um, so I think there might be a little bit of a kind of hangover from that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. Um, what about Cam Norrie? He went out early again. It's been a really disappointing year. Um, but what about JJ uh, Wolf? You know, again, another American um, trying to make waves in the game. Yeah, I mean, personally speaking, I, I, I honestly am not disappointed with the year for Nori. It, it's okay. sort of relative to uh, the expectations. Fair enough. But, so he, he overexceeded last year, then, yeah, 2020. Yeah, probably. Like in the ATP race, he is at number 15. I think All that's right. really, I think that's really good for Nori. Yeah, Obviously, a lot of. The, a lot of that was done at the beginning of the season, right? So, yeah. so Arca, um, Arca, I, no, it was Rio he won, wasn't it? Rio he won. Uh, Rio he won, and also the final in Buenos Aires, yeah, and and some a couple of other results. And like, uh, I understand if someone is disappointed with the last few months. I think this and probably uh, the one against Kovacev, the loss against Kovacevic in Los Cabos were the the worst ones. The worst ones, sort of. But uh, Kovacevic played excellent tennis on, on his day. I cannot really speak for JG Wolf. It was also a two-day match, right? Nori eventually uh, had a lot of issues closing out sets because he was 5-2 double break up in the second, then yeah. won it 7-5, then was 5-3 up in the third and lost it. But it's losing to JG Wolf on a, on a rather fast uh, hard court actually that bad? I don't think so. I think, you know, the, the odds were definitely a bit crazy in that one, uh, yeah. I, I believe, and and um, yeah, again, it, it's really relative to the expectations, I think. And and for me, if Cam Norrie is going to be like a stable top twenty player, that's really big for him, considering yeah. you know the the expectations that uh, we've had for him you know, two or three years ago. It's absolutely massive for Norrie. So so I would say it's still fine, but obviously the last few months he has just been very unspectacular. And and uh, Sean was asking, I guess he wasn't there earlier. Will Shelton have much chance against Sinner? Basically, we said, well, I said that, um, yeah, I, I think it's much, much closer than, than it might seem on paper. And and I also think, like John, that Sean, that Sinner will at some point have uh, fatigue issues, probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, Jordan's convinced that um, Sinner will run out of steam, out of gas at some point. Um, so, yeah, just watch this space. Uh, in terms of other matchups, um, can't really do uh, an ATP weekly without kind of touching on uh, Carlos Alcaraz, of course, uh, losing to Sinner in the semi-finals last week in Beijing. Um, coming through his uh, second round match um, against Barrera, uh, will now face Dan Evans. Um, do you give Dan, Ev Dan Evans any hope at all? Uh, I cannot really say I, I, I'm not giving him any hope. You know, they just played a decent match at the US Open. Um there that's the first set he won against Alcaraz right but um in a best of three set match maybe there is a chance of um you know Evans is a pretty gritty competitor like he can he can grind with the slice maybe there's just I don't know some games don't go Alcaraz's way and then it gets tricky for him 
Um, but eventually, you know, I would expect Alcaraz to win. I think with with Medvedev out, with Zverev out, with Sinner likely not to have that sort of, uh, I mean, the ability to go back to back in Beijing and Shanghai. I think there's a huge chance that is opening up for Alcaraz. Maybe it actually opened up with him uh, for him uh, when the draw came out, even because all of the high seeds in his section are like, well, Fritz, Tsitsipas, Rublev. I mean, they aren't as dangerous as as the ones on the other side. We could probably argue that there are, let's say, five best players in the world right now. Djokovic is not playing. Sinner, Medvedev, Zverev are probably the the other three, and then of course there's Alcaraz, and Alcaraz is the only one in the top half. So I think. Initially, it really there, there's a huge chance for him here, and obviously also that would, um, if he won this event, if he made the final, that would put him in a very good position ahead of the um, ATP. I mean, I mean, ahead of the remaining part of the season to fight for the number one ranking with Djokovic. Uh, I don't know if this is a huge priority, but it probably is. Regarding you know, looking at his schedule, uh, maybe not a huge one, but it is a priority. So, so I would expect Alcaraz to go very deep. I still am expecting to. Before the event, I think I said that Alcaraz was going to make the final, but then lose to whoever is on the other side. I'm not so sure anymore because Sinner, Medvedev, uh, Zverev, I mean, two of them went out and Sinner, I don't know if he's going to make the final, you know? But yeah. um, So maybe I, I mean, would change that prediction to Alcaraz is probably winning the title. Yeah, I mean, obviously Sinner uh, and Alcaraz... Uh, on another kind of collision course, uh, as you as you mentioned, um, but yeah, it just all depends uh, if Senna can can not run out of gas. And um, tomorrow's tennis, um, you start off with Dimitrov, Karen Hatchinov, uh, Tommy Paul, Arthur Fees, Diego Shorts, and Taylor Fritz, Manorino Rublev, um, Sonigo, uh, Nicholas Yari, Arnaldi versus JJ Wolf, Evans, uh, Alcaraz. And then sets the pass, Ugo Umber. Is there, is there anybody um, for us fans out there should be thinking, um, you know, this one's a nailed on win? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not excited about the fact that Paul and Fields are starting uh, because that means 6.30 a.m. for me. <laughs> it's 5.30 <laughs> for you even, right? So, well, you can go to your bed. Um, you can go to your bed after this. Uh, I cannot actually. There's a challenger final in Campinas, and then at 10 p.m. there's a challenger final in uh, Tiburon. And I think there's no after... rest for you. I can just exactly, see your house. Yeah. We have about six different screens with a digital schedule on your wall as well. <laughs> yeah, more, more or less. I mean, I have just two screens, but but yeah, <laughs> sometimes, especially especially on Sundays where I really want to watch all the finals, it can get crazy. Uh, I also think I'm going to probably record uh, a podcast after Tiburon final. So it's not going to be a lot of sleep, but I'm going to try to watch Paul Fields. And I, I am really excited about the possibility, uh, no, 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 the possibility of Umbert beating Tsitsipas. I think, you know, obviously... I think that's, Steph, that's a goer. That what you're saying could happen, yeah. Uh, it's Tiburon with one R, John. Uh, and uh, yeah, Umber recently has been in pretty good form. Obviously, this is a year where he's returned to like the top 30 or thereabouts. He is actually still in the race to finish as the French number one. <laughs> I don't think he cares about that all that much. But uh, <laughs> Manarino has like a 200-point lead. There's also Fils. So we've got all all three guys actually still in Shanghai and a big run yeah. could, could switch things up. I think it's like Manarino, 200 points, uh, Umber, 200 points, Fils. However, um, uh, yeah, Umber basically has has definitely uh, made up for that 2022 campaign, especially for the for its first half. Uh, he has been really good this season in Beijing. He had a run beating Sonego Rublev, losing to Medvedev in three sets. Davis Cup as well. He was really good at. So I am hoping for a for a good showing from him. And obviously, Tsitsipas uh, recently has been very fragile, uh, not the best of times for for the Greek. Can it be a matchup that is that is actually tough for him? I believe so. You know, the Umber actually holds a lead over him, two and one. I don't know if it really holds up still after two years, but um, certainly he got the you know he's got the big enough serve and and uh, big enough weapons to trouble the Tsitsipas backhand and and we'll see how how Steph reacts to it because we really haven't seen him play a well I guess we haven't seen him play a good match since the U.S. Open first round. Yeah. Hijikata in the in the second here, I think it was just an easy draw that he capitalized on. And kudos to him for that. But Davis Cup and against Jari in Beijing, he was really out of it. Yeah, that was the heart uh, the Davis Cup. Um, I think was it was it in Athens, right? And yeah, yeah, they played in Athens and uh he almost lost to Lucas Klein. 
and then lost to Alex Morton. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I mean, we've we've got about ten minutes left. I just wanted to touch on because we we were speaking about Cam Norrie, and he was looking to make you know uh, Turin the finals, looking very very unlikely. Obviously, that I think you said he was fifteenth, um, which he is. Yeah. I'm just looking at the um, the race to Turin here. Um, so four players already there: Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, and Yannick Sinner. Uh, in fifth is Andrew Rublev, Stefanis Tsitsipas in sixth, Zverev and Holger Runa. Um, you know, there's still points uh, in a race for these guys as well. Holger Runa going out early. Um, you know, where is, uh, is the Dane right now in terms of, you know, his form, his ability? Uh, uh, and, you know, he, he had a strong end uh, winning Paris last year in Paris. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems that these players have still got a lot of points and a lot of things to play for, don't they? Yeah, I mean, there's Shanghai ATP 1000, Paris ATP 1000, the 500 in Tokyo, the 500 in Basel and Vienna, the 500 in Basel and Vienna in the same week. So basically, even though it seems like Rublev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, like we estimate that these guys should be safe and it's probably down to the eighth spot. Mm -hmm. But let's say, I don't know, imagine um, Tommy Paul wins the ATP 1000 in Shanghai and then suddenly he is really nicely positioned in the conversation. So... Uh, but, but yeah, bearing any surprise winners of the 500s or of the 1000s, we would probably be looking at Rune, Fritz, maybe Rude, because he's already in the forefront fighting for the last spot. Yeah. Rune, a big, a big question mark at the moment. What is uh, going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I would expect Zverev to get there. I would expect Rublev and Tsitsipas to get there. But they are definitely not safe yet. I mean, there's a big gap between the top four and the rest and that's how it should be right now that that's how it feels you know that maybe Zverev is pretty close to the top five but obviously his first half of the year was like still coming back from an injury but yeah uh, but yeah the, the top four players that we have right now in the ATP finals field are definitely the top yeah. four I mean, players I, of the world I think what you like about Alexander Zverev I know he divides opinion um uh but you know it's been a good year in terms of you know coming back from that injury and you know, making the waves and making the finals, and we, uh, you know, I think he won Hamburg as well. Um, you know, he's, he's he's actually shown that you know he's a he's a very very talented boy, and uh, to to be seventh in the race after a, a year off, um, you know, well, I know it's not a full year, but you know, seven or eight months off, um, hats off. Yeah, um, indeed, he divides opinion. Personally, I've always been you know able to just separate the off court stuff and the on court stuff. Um, I'm just mostly looking what the players play and not not who they are. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he deserves to be in the ATP Finals field right now, I think, with how he's been playing recently. Uh, will he make it there? Again, that really depends on, on some other results as well, on what he does from here. Uh, I think losing here in Shanghai is definitely a bit of a hit. Um, and I, think we'll he, see, yeah. I think he finally ran out of some steam, some gas. As, as, Possib uh, possibly, yeah. But also was in a very tough section, you know. Safiuli Normare round two, then Shelton round three, and Sinner round four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, possibly also also a bit fatigued. I mean, he was definitely not um, moving as well, and, like just didn't really care at the end of the second set against Safiulin. Was that because of a physical problem, or was that because Safiulin was just playing so absurdly well, and probably a bit of both? Uh, but well, I yeah. remember he had uh, a he had a match against Davidovich Fikina as well, didn't he? That, that he did the yeah. same. Six one six two in in Toronto, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was like like his second match after um, after yeah. winning Hamburg. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically at at this point in time, I would really uh, enjoy it if he made the ATP finals because I think he can be a lot more competitive there than some of the players that could maybe break into that group uh, with with a random Paris or a Shanghai round. I think especially Paris, you know, in the past has been such a wild ATP thousand event because there's the like whole season fatigue. Uh, usually, some players would skip it. And then, uh, yeah, you got, I don't know, Karen Kachanov, Jack Sock winning it, right? So maybe yeah. something like that is is going yeah. to make the ATP finals like on the last possible moment. That's actually how Jack Sock managed to make it. I don't think Kachanov did, but Jack Sock managed. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting if, if there is a winner that isn't um, called Carlos or Yannick, then, you know, it might, um, you know, throw the cat amongst the pigeons, as we say. Um so just to kind of wrap up before we, we go, um, a couple of points and then we'll get your um, Jakob Bobro um, player of the week. Um, but I wanted to touch on, and you can indulge me a little bit, 
uh, Damien, as a Scotsman, uh, Andy Murray. Um, you know, I uh, I've not been on talking tennis since um, I watched him uh, throw away the match against Alex De Manure, um in Beijing, and uh, again another sore loss, um, pretty comfortable for Roman Safflin. Uh, and I just wondered, you know, Andy Murray, where does he go from here? You know, he's probably, um, and you know, it breaks my heart to say, it, he's not going to maybe make the second week of a slam again. You know, it, it, there's this new generation coming through that looks like his his game's just outdated against him. Um, but, you know, w- where does Andy Murray go? Does he go for another year? Um, what can he do in the game? Has he got one more ATP title in him? Yeah. <laughs> um... I mean, I, I, I definitely can see him winning a, tit- a title or, I don't know, making the second week of a slam. I don't think he's going f- any way up from here. Like, I don't really think that's possible. With every year, it's going to be tougher as well. Uh, that's what we can assume with, with his age, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, is, he is going to be 37 next year. And also, physicality is a huge part of his game. So, again, maybe it's a bit relative to the expectations, but generally speaking, I don't really expect more from Murray than I've been seeing in the past few months or so. I mean, even if you looked at uh, who has, he has been losing to, I mean, Tsitsipas, Fritz, Dimitrov, Karatsev, Deminor, Safiulin here, who played an insane match against um, Zverev in the next round. Uh, it's not really the end of the world, but... If well, Sometimes when people get excited and like say, you know, maybe he's going to be back in the top 20... I don't know if that's really doable. And that loss that you mentioned to Deminor was obviously quite painful for him as well. Uh, but yeah, staying around this this level, I, I think that could be possible. It's actually quite funny how many of his big results this year were challengers, right? I mean, he's won mm-hmm. three challengers yeah. this year. Yeah. And other than that, it's only really the, the Doha final. But winning a 250 somewhere, I think it, it definitely could be done. I mean, in 2019, he won Antwerp and was probably playing worse than right now, or like at least comparable. So, um, I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm looking at the race. I'm sure he started the year at four. I mean, I'm, I've been I'm slating him here, but um, you know, I'm sure he started the, the year at something like 44, maybe. Um, and he's uh, I'm looking at the the live. Um, oh no, that's a live ATP race. I, was, I thought I was looking at the ranking. I was going to say he's at thirty-eight, but I think uh, I think uh, I think I'm incorrect on that. Yeah, <laughs> um, thirty-nine, but you know, the same basically. But ah, there he um, is. Yeah, thirty-nine. So I mean, I suppose he could look at his progress, but you know, at the same time, Andy Murray wants to be playing against uh, the best in the later stages of tournament, not this first, second, third round struggle of of three sets and three hours. So um, yeah. Like you say, stayed at the same level, right? I mean, at this point, he's basically playing because he likes it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if he didn't enjoy grinding uh, on tour, he would probably stop. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably relax. You know, yeah. Maybe he just doesn't want to go home because he's got four kids, and he'll realize how how tough a job that would be. Maybe it's easier on the court against these guys. Um, Yeah, he's waiting for them to grow up a little. (laughs) That's when that's when he's going to return to Edinburgh or wherever they live. Uh, Well, I think he lives in London. Actually, I think he he lives in London. Yeah, yeah, in Surrey. Um, But anyway, to wrap up, it's been good. You've taken us through Shanghai. Um, We've got a better understanding of what's going on and what will happen. Um, But do you want to give us, Damien, uh, your Jakob Bobro? Uh, who, who's your player of the week for the, the last seven days? Yeah, so uh, initially we sort of, um, well, the, this was established as like an outside the top 100, but we decided to um, make an exception for Tomasz Mahat, Tomas Mahat, who I know was also, you know, Jakob, uh, one of, I don't know if Jakob's favorite players, but we certainly talked about him a lot on the Challenger pod and, uh, I he even I know he even interviewed him last year in Bratislava. They, they did it in um, sort of uh, this funny way. I don't know if you if you know that this is possible, but Jakub was talking in Slovak and Mahaj was talking in Czech, and they just can understand they knew each, each other. other. That's amazing. Yeah, they, they understand <laughs> each other. Uh, <laughs> for me, I know it seems like both languages are too far away from each other. I, I mean, they are close, but like still too far away from each other. But actually, you know. Uh, so so they just did it like that, which was which is funny, and um, yeah, we we decided to go with Mahaj because for years I think he's been a player who everyone was expecting to make more 
of an impact in the top 100 than he has been able to. I mean, at the end of last year, he broke it. He made his career high of 96, which is also where he sits at right now. However, after Shanghai, he might be even as high as the top 80. Right now in the live rankings, he's in the top 80. And he's basically won back-to-back uh, -back challenger titles. Um, with his title in Orléans, he ensured this interesting feat that he has won at least the challenger for like four consecutive seasons right now he's 16 and uh, he's 16 and one in his last 17 matches and this week in uh, which is what we are rewarding him for he won back-to-back uh, -back titles in um well first or lounge of course last week and now mullerona captive after losing the first set to his brower um to six he basically never gave anyone a chance after that didn't show any signs of fatigue. He still intends to play in Bratislava next week from, from what I know. And um, this could be the, the, the real moment. This could be the moment when he breaks through to the tour. He's had some health issues earlier in the year. So if he ever, like if he just manages to keep going in the indoor season, get some good results, uh, there might be really some huge um, ranking rise possibility in the first half of the 2024 season. You know, maybe top 50, something like that could be doable. Uh, earlier in the year, of course, he he played the slot. He played. He qualified for Wimbledon, for example. He played that um, Houston quarterfinal. He had a great match against Djokovic. Uh, really good talent, uh, who I think uh, has definitely been underperforming for a while. And I know Jakub would uh, really enjoy this run from him for sure. Yeah, definitely a worthy winner. Uh, of course, beating Jack Draper uh, in yeah. France uh, the previous week, being a, a set down. I'm oh, sorry. Um, it was a set-up in that one. But yeah, um, worthy winner, Thomas, um, winning that one. So um, anything else? Any other business, Damien, before we wrap it up for the evening? Uh, anything else? Uh, probably mind? not. Uh, yeah, guys, watch Shanghai. Uh, um, it was it a was, uh, pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, I, I'm yeah. definitely going to try to watch that Paul Fields match at 6 <laughs> But I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Today, I think Fields was also playing at... Was it 6.30 as well? I, I think he was first on, because um, yeah. I think they were meant to play yesterday and then the rain hit. Um, so they were, they were Indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, um, yesterday they actually started the match in, in that uh, they did the cointos, but they never played the points. Exactly, they because... Just, they were stopped during the warm-up, yeah. Because uh, the app had it as if there was a score on, and it was like 0-0, zero, zero, and it was just like yeah. live, you know, like, what is going on here? Um, yeah, but yeah. excellent, it's been good chatter. Uh, and remember, guys, um, Damien is going for Corda, and that we bracket of four um the big the big bracket so listen i'll be i'll be uh, looking out for that one damien and let's do this again very soon all right of course and also a quick beard update neither me nor john have shaven yet so no nope. uh, there's john there <laughs> very creepy with halloween coming up john in the dark um and uh, with a big beard um and uh, I got told previously by the two guys with the beards um, that I looked five years younger because uh, I went all shaven. So, um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, the beard will be back for me. I promise. It was just getting very annoying. Um, but listen, good chatter. Um, we'll speak again soon, Damien. Uh, and you stay well, all right? Sure. Top man. See you later. See ya. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.